bringing something to market where you've got a lot of passion, a lot of vision, and a lot of understanding of the impact um, is going to build a better, better business. All that and more in this episode of the Commerce Tomorrow podcast. Welcome to the Commerce Tomorrow podcast. Your one stop to learn about the technology that's powering the future of commerce. Here are your hosts, Dirk and Kelly. Hi, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of the Commerce Tomorrow podcast. I'm here today again with my co-host, Kelly. Hello. And today we have two special guests. Uh, we have Will Hayes and Peter Curran, both from LucidWorks. Um, hey, Peter. Hey, Will. Hey, hey. Hey, great to be here. To get started, for those who don't know you personally, um, maybe you can give a quick, brief introduction about yourself and how you actually came to LucidWorks and uh, what you're doing wants to start? Um, Will, maybe, sure. why don't you go first? I can go first. Sure. So uh, I'm Will Hayes. I'm the CEO of LucidWorks. Uh, I've been with the company for about eight years now. Um, I'm a, a software engineer by trade Been working in the Silicon Valley pretty much ever since high school. <laughs> I grew up in the Bay Area. Um, started my career as a software developer at a company called Genentech, a pharmaceutical company where I was in the drug development um, and software development areas uh, in and around uh, research and development for, for various products at Genentech. Then joined as one of the founding engineers at a company called Splunk, um, where we built a, uh, uh, sorry, uh, an analytics and search platform for machine data. We took Splunk public in, in 2012, and obviously the company continues to, to go on and do great things. And um, I came to LucidWorks in 2013 as part of a, a transition for the company, LucidWorks was founded in and around an open source project providing services and support a lot like the Red Hat for open source search. Um, my joining the company and, and the intention there was to transition that more towards a commercial offering where we could include more capabilities and services for our customers that go beyond just that open source container. And so we can talk a bit about sort of what that transition means and, and, and really the impact that that's been having um, in the marketing for our customers. Yeah. And I, uh... I uh, am in my 26th year in enterprise software. I can't believe it. And uh, worked on. You look way younger, Thank though, you. I have to say. Right? We, we, we can <laughs> see each other via video here. He really everybody's does. remote. But... Thank you very much. You started at the age of 12, <laughs> so, right? So. <laughs> yeah, it feels like that. Uh, but yeah, so a long time in enterprise software. I've worked in ERP, I've worked in collaboration and knowledge management technology, which. Uh, with a guy named Tom Gruber, who was uh, the fellow who went on to create Siri um, and, and sold that to Apple. And then uh, went on to a company called Vignette, which was sort of the poster child for dot-com boom and bust. Um, and then on to uh, start start my own company that LucidWorks acquired last year. Um, so Will, um, it's great to see a CPO promoted to CEO, um, but you don't really see that that often. Um, and, and I'm a little surprised, and, and maybe it's a selfish thinking on my part. Yeah, <laughs> as I, I just CPO. want to know um, before you answer here, uh, <laughs> where's where this coming from, Kelly? <laughs> Let's do some career yeah. coaching, Kelly. Right? Uh, I start to worry. Would think, I start to worry. You would now. think, though. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you better watch when you cross the road, Dirk. Uh, <laughs> but you would think that that would happen more often at product companies. You know, you see CFOs become yeah. CEO, which is great, but. You know, you would think product companies, the whole point of a product company is is it's product focused, right? And it's great to see you promoted into that CEO role. So why don't you think that's the, the default out there? You think it would be? 
Or am I, is this just wishful yeah, thinking on my part? <laughs> <laughs> it's opportunistic. Like I said, we can take that part offline. Um, well, I mean, I think there's a couple things here. Uh, first off, I mean, product-led companies from their inception are becoming more and more common, right? And so you've got a lot of um, founder-led companies, which typical you know founders are, are, are kind of coming from that sort of R&D, maybe a little more on the go-to-market, but really focused in around that product execution. Um, I think it's no secret that as we've seen the success of companies in market, as well as the failures of company in market, that the core um, sort of the, the how center product is to that DNA um, seems to correlate very strongly to performance in the market, right? And so bringing something to market where you've got a lot of passion, a lot of vision, and a lot of understanding of the impact um, is going to build a better, better business. It's just kind of the way it, it works in this day and age. And so those, those sort of founder-led companies, product-led companies are more and more common. What you don't see and where I think what you think you're alluding to that might have been unique in, in my situation is you don't see a lot of transitions. Um, so once a company's up and running and getting ready for scale and operating, um, typically folks have a bias towards <clears throat> kind of what they'll call operational experience, particularly in the chief executive role. Um, I think even there, what you're finding, and I, I make this joke with my team all the time, I mean, the CEO is probably, sorry, Dirk, but the most kind of undefined and under leveraged position in an organization, right? You'd need to have a, a certain level of experience and expertise in your COO, CFO, head of revenue. Um, the CEO kind of brings a different type of leverage and focus into the organization. So more and more, I know companies are looking at bringing in experience in and around the CEO in order to have kind of a product centric, product led vision within the company. And that seems to have, you know, the impact both in the market, but as well internally in the company that kind of attracts the right creative energies. So I don't think it's going to be super uncommon to see, but, you know, that bias towards operation probably is why you don't see a lot more transitions. Um, but I would expect that to even kind of change as we evolve our thinking around organizations. Yeah, and let's hope. I fully agree on, on that as well, right? So um, normally when you grow the organization and you scale up, um, you have experts in, in every single position, right? Might it be your CRO, your CPO, your CTO, your COO, your CFO, and so on, right? And, and the role is changing, right? And, and I think you can have, you should either have one of the two, right? So great sales and go-to-market skills or great understanding of the market and the products out there, right? And um, then bring that into the organization and, and also create Right, like like Will said, probably the energy internally, but also externally to attract the best talent. Right? So, um, but yeah, it's it's not about us here. So uh, let's let's uh, <laughs> let's uh, go on. Uh, uh, so so Peter, <clears throat> do you want to walk us through Cirrus 10's founding and uh, your acquisition by Lucidworks? Yeah, yeah, by sure. the way, uh, Congrats. On yeah, that. so uh, Vignette, the company I, I worked for for about 10 years, was acquired by this company, OpenText, and it, it, it still had a pretty good install base at the time. So there was some services opportunity, uh, but they weren't selling a lot of licenses. So um, some other people at Vignette and I decided to, to bail out. We started our own services company tied to Vignette. But at the time, Indeca was um, starting to emerge. Uh, as a you know increasingly important uh, search platform in in commerce, and they had created a, a component called um, Page Builder, which later went on to be called Experience Manager by Oracle. And it was, uh, I think, quite a visionary idea. You know, probably a decade ahead of its time, 
uh, where you would give business users the ability to orchestrate user experience on an e-commerce site uh, without any kind of tight combina- you know, tight tie between the front end and, and the orchestration tier. And so we, we really gravitated to that idea because uh, it was um, very similar to what we had been doing in Vignette, but everything was just a lot, a lot faster and easier uh, to integrate and to get business users up and, up and uh, productive. So uh, we sort of leaned into e-commerce and, and in DECA and uh, grew the business to have about 150 different customers over 10 years. Um, every kind of company, big and small, uh, well-known and obscure. And then, um, you know, the writing was kind of on the wall about Indeca, I think, and around 2017. And so we were looking around for other companies to partner with and um, and found Lucidworks and got a good uh, motion going with, uh, with Will and, and the team at Lucidworks and, and decided to make it a combined company. Uh, they acquired us uh, on uh, New Year's Eve of uh, 2019. Not not a good day. To, uh, don't do a deal on New Year's Eve. I will say Peter sells himself short a little bit. I mean, what, what Series 10 brought to the table that we just couldn't ignore um, went beyond technology, right? It was a core understanding of our customers' businesses and their objectives. And, you know, for me, and I think where Peter and I really just clicked is like, that's where the fun is, right? We get excited about the stuff we build. We think it's awesome. Obviously, that's what happens when you're a creator. Um, but where you can really get the excitement and the impact is kind of burying yourself in those customers' businesses, understanding the day in the life, what their personal objectives are. And Cirrus 10 just had this beautiful way of really embedding and really understanding. And I think that's what you know it's all about, right? Going beyond just sort of what you're building and, and your company that's behind you, but really just kind of partnering with those customers and in their success. And they did a fantastic job and continue to do that service along with us at Lucidworks as well. Yeah, I think it's a... Good example or great example for um, a perfect uh, M&A uh, uh, kind of deal, right? So when when two things really fit together um, and, and yeah, just supported um, the further growth of the business. Talking talking about the, the business, um, can you describe or give a little bit some insights um, about Lucid currently? So what is the size of the company? How many employees, key customers are? Core products. Um, I think we will we will talk about the products uh, in a couple of minutes in, in more depth. Um, but, but maybe you can give a highlight overview um, on the offerings, um, funding, wh- whatever you can share. Yeah, absolutely. And Peter, maybe you can fill in on, on on some of the offerings and some of the stuff that we're excited about right now. Um, so the company is again, it's an interesting background, one that you don't see very often, where the company was started around two thousand uh, two thousand ten, um, and then had to make this pretty big transition in thirteen. You know, when I came to the company and we were in that open source business, I was I was comparing it to optional car insurance, right? So it's sort of okay, first year on the road, yep, sign me up. Second year, no accidents, maybe I renew. Third year, a little bit of economic pressure, and guess what? I'm giving up that optional car insurance, right? And so the business was 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 difficult to to kind of retain and scale as open source businesses are. Um, when I came in, what was really exciting to me was what was happening with machine learning, um, the accessibility of it how obtainable it was becoming, the compute cycles that you could get from the cloud really allowed companies to start thinking more like sort of Google and Amazon, if you will, in terms of how they're going to go solve their problems, how they're going to leverage their proprietary and public information that's out there. And that was what was the vision for us at Lucidworks and the real opportunity was simply, can we marry these two things? 
before we got down the path of, of commerce and thinking about, you know, exactly how we were going to provide the connected value of service and commerce to our customers, it was really about marrying search with the power of machine learning and predictability and bringing that to market. So in 2013, I joined 2015, we took that to market. And then we kind of did um, what's called a recap of the company. So we went out and raised funds um, with the expectation that we were sort of starting fresh. And so this is an interesting kind of a paradigm that you can leverage as a, as a founder or as you come into a company, when the cap table and the growth don't quite get to where you want, you can kind of take a step back and reset it. And so we did that in 2015. We took a $25 million round led by Allegis Capital, brought Fusion to market, and then started to scale. Um, we've done two additional rounds of financing, a $50 million round led by top tier capital partners, and then our $100 million round in, um, keep me honest, 18, 18, <laughs> 18 to 19. 19. The last 65 days, it felt like 10 years, so I have a hard time measuring time anymore. Um, but we brought in Francisco Partners uh, Private Equity um, to lead the round as a minority holder and um, continue to support and, and scale the business. Um, we are uh, in around $70 million in revenue right now. I'm totally comfortable sharing that. Um, one of the coolest things that, that in, in what we've built is, um, you know, we, we spend our days with household names, um, Fortune 100, Global 2000, um, companies like Morgan Stanley, companies like Exxon, REI, Foot Locker, um, obviously lots more that I'm kind of carefully navigating because I'm not sure what I'm clear to say. <laughs> um, but I'll go to my website really quick just to make sure I have, I have referenceability. Um, but yeah, but we've been, again, kind of heavily concentrated in that. We've got offices now in Hong Kong and in the UK and starting to kind of push our presence into, um, into those regions as well. And it's been a lot of fun. I, I'll say I'll let Peter talk about the offerings. Um, but when Peter and I got together, when I when I joined the company, you know what I always said was, look, when you go to order food, when you go to book a cab, when you go to book a ticket, no one cares about your infrastructure. <laughs> no one cares about your data. Just get them to where they need to go. Help them find a table. Help them book an appointment. And so really our focus as a technology company, unlike really the rest of the Silicon Valley that I will criticize, is that we're not here to explain to you why one inverted index is better than another or one NoSQL database. We want to understand your business. We under want to understand what's, what's important. And we want to leverage our vehicles to get our customers to their goals. And so it's just a different mentality. And it's something that commerce really allows you to do, right? Because it's just so real. Like we understand what it means to have a better experience. We understand what it means to discover something. And the ROI and the impact on that is pretty straightforward. And so this is why we have so much fun with our customers. Peter, I'll let you talk a bit about um, maybe the- Yeah, Core offering, offering is a uh, subscription-based um, uh, platform for discovery that is applicable for three use cases, uh, knowledge management, um, you know, helping companies take all the dif different silos within, uh, you know, their enterprise, connecting them up with search uh, service, and that can be customer self-service or agent effectiveness, um, and uh, and then commerce, and that's uh, that's the one that that is kind of my background and the one that that I most heavily focus on is uh, you know on-site search and and recommendations. And first, so congrats on, on the whole success and story, right? Um, it's, it's impressive. It's great numbers. Um, I think it validates the saying that it takes 10 years to build a great $100 million <laughs> revenue business, right? And, and um, yeah, sounds like a, a poster child kind of story. Um, I don't know who you want to take that. Maybe, maybe, Peter, can you share some cool customer use cases, right? So we'll already drop some names. Um, if you would 
like to pick some cases on how your technology or products are leveraged best. Um, this would be great. And, and one question related to that is um, related to the acceleration of last year with all the uh, uh, Corona pandemia and, and acceleration in digitalization. Have you seen a change on what your customers are doing with your platform and, and where do you see this trend going? Yeah, we have um, the the use case that I'm most excited about is um, is in a, uh, a a very large you know top twenty in the United States e-commerce uh, retailer that uh, was pretty drastically affected by the pandemic. It was you know one of the companies that uh, you know you would read about running out of toilet paper or or you know some other commodity like that. Um, and uh, what the uh, what they saw was this dramatic increase in the number of searches that were returning no results, and it was for a variety of different reasons. It could be because uh, they didn't carry a brand, or it could be because they, uh, you know, were just out of the thing, or that they carried it only in the physical retail and not in the online uh, retail assortment, and uh, you know, saw null searches go into the you know forty percent range at times and certainly never below 25 percent so we uh we used a, an emerging technology which we can talk about more in this uh in this podcast if you want uh called vector search to plot products and concepts into a uh, high dimensional vector space so think about it like a um you know many many different dimension uh, space and then you put products into this physical sort of graph and, um, and we're able to solve those kinds of problems. So when somebody searches for a brand that they don't carry, uh, then we're able to uh, find alternative brands that are kind of known for the same thing. Or if somebody searches for, you know, toilet paper uh, and they're out of it, we can maybe return Kleenex. Or if they search for, you know, latex gloves, maybe we can return nitrile gloves instead. So, um, you know, the thing that this gets at that I think is really interesting in search is getting away from a real literal understanding or lexical understanding of the query, and instead kind of trying to understand what the query means. What is the user's goal? What are they looking for? It's not always clear from the words that they put into the search box. So that use case I think is really exciting because people convert at two and three times um, you know, when they see something, even if it's not you know, exactly what they looked for, um, as compared to showing them a, a page that looks like an error, like, sorry, you messed up, check your spelling. Um, that, that kind of page doesn't convert. Yeah, I can imagine. I, I wonder how long until we have like a brain computer interface where, you know, rather than have to type everything out, you know, language is such an imprecise mechanism of conveying ideas. Yeah, the the, uh, the application of this vector technology is gets into this kind of wacky space where I start to imagine Terminator and stuff like that. But <laughs> like you can search for um, you can search for content in a language, like let's say German, and pull English documents uh, out of a repository uh, using vector technology without any translation of the document. Um, Use cases like that are, are really startling, you know, and, and powerful. But how are the similarities defined, right? So to, to stick to your analogy on the toilet paper versus Kleenex, yes, it could be category, right? So because they are categorized yep. probably similarly, it could be uh, uh, image recognition 
um, some other use cases? Is it a combination or, or maybe just two minutes deep dive well, on that topic? Yeah, sure. So if you, you know, people have an easy time imagining a, a two or three dimensional space. They have a hard time, you know, imagining a 100 dimensional space. But once you start to put uh, concepts into a space that has that many dimensions, things like the the language that uh, is being used to describe it uh, start to matter a lot less. And um, and in addition, you know, the things that we put into that space are, you know, what other products do people add to cart after they fail to find something? Um, so we can rely on user behavior and user persistence to uh, draw inferences about what toilet paper might mean. And if you aggregate uh, those inferences, you start to find some statistical uh, correlation that, that you know, suggests that, yeah, Kleenex actually is a good substitute for toilet paper. This is, um, I mean, to me, this is going to be a pretty significant transition in the way we think about retrieval going forward, not just in commerce, um, but even, you know, the future of like an inverted index, for instance, which to me will have certain um, utility that we may or may not want to deploy against a site. But when you think about the power of concepts and, you know, we could do a whole podcast and talk about vectors and mapping things into space, but just simply speaking, this power of what is a concept and how do I link relationships and relevancy to a concept? And then think about every intention that we have as a user as we enter a site, a portal, we log on to our bank, right? We are, we are conceptually oriented, except for the, the paradigm in which we query keywords and such really don't meet any need. We're trying to map these things constantly. Some companies do a really good job, right? Places like Google. But I think it's really interesting when you start to bring concepts into your retrieval and then you think about keywords. And I often say, look, keywords are the most intentional search ever. Right. If I'm actually getting down to the specificity of three or four just just terms and, and, and stems, which then provide precision into a catalog, I know I know exactly what I'm doing. That, too, does not require an inverted index. Right. You can use a columnar store or some other kind of lookup. So this is something that's early. But I look at every single application on the planet and tell me that those should not be concept based and intention based. Right. We all want it. It's just that we've come to expect it when we're shopping online and retailers are scrambling to catch up. And that's why we're excited to bring this capability to market. But every single application would be better served in understanding me as an individual and what my intentions are, rather than just trying to parse through language and then making me do all the work to then, you know, map the result to my intention, if you will. hundred percent. We have so much to go as, as an industry, you know, not just search specifically, but you know, with technology improving, I'm, I'm remarkably, I'm, on a daily basis, disappointed by my voice assistants in some way, you know, and their understanding of my language or my intention. And, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of that extends to commerce search as well. But I know that you're always on the, the forefront here. If I could, just because I think that's such a cool thing, right? So I'm sorry, but this is just to me, this is like some of the most exciting stuff that's going on in the industry right now. And so, yeah, the voice assistants are kind of lame. But imagine, and we'll, we'll get into privacy and the creep factor, we can talk about that later. But imagine a world in which, you know, it's not just your voice prompting, right? It's your location, it's your calendar, it's all those signals in and around you. How predictive, if I were to just tell you that, hey, Kelly, you're going to be standing in a parking lot at 3 p.m. before a 310 meeting in this state, just exiting, like, you can automatically contextualize what actions you want to go take. 
right? Because you're processing those signals. Well, we can start to bring that same thing into your kind of digital realities, if you will, to start providing recommendations and that's next best action. And yeah, this goes well beyond your commerce experience. But to me, it's just all about people and intention, right? And using multidimensional space to understand concepts and to determine relationships, while again, very deep kind of technical things to get your head around is really the key to unlocking that individual intention, regardless of the context. And that's what's most exciting. Yeah, to, to quote Jeff Bezos here, I think we're still at day one on a lot of this stuff. We have uh, oh. so much more to go. <laughs> yeah, hour <laughs> one probably, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so your product is built on um, Lucene, uh, Solar, Elasticsearch. Maybe can you start by describing some of those uh, open source projects and products and yeah. kind of how they all work with each other? Yeah, let's just get some maybe some conceptual things down. So um, Lucene, which you'll hear a lot about, is a Java library that provides the indexing and the, and, and the retrieval um, that we all know and love is kind of our, our keyword or plain text search. Um, there's certain capabilities inside of the Lucene library, but the thing is, it's, it's a library, right? So if you want to go do something, you got to import it and understand all the, all, the, all the paradigms in and around it to implement it within your system. And so you see it as a very kind of low level um, capability that a lot of folks then build on top of. Um, of course, search is the kind of thing, just like a database that we want to go and post records to and retrieve records to. And so the community had built a server that's called Solar to sit on top of Lucene and to make it act more or less like you would expect a database to act. Right. And so there's a variety of interfaces and ways that you can interact and that ways that you can manage um, solar in its history has been very, very much focused on reliability using technologies like Zookeeper um, and these sort of mission critical applications in which, you know, if a record were to change or to be missing, let's say you pulled back like your account history and we were missing a major transaction, that'd be a problem. Right. And so that's those are the cases in which you see solar. Elasticsearch was born out of a different need, which was around the public cloud, particularly around elasticity, right? That having the ability with Amazon and Google and others that I can spin up resources, I can spin up, spin down resources. And so they've adopted that paradigm very closely. Um, where the projects have kind of drifted is that Elastic has gotten very focused on analytics. In fact, they're, I think, a lot more focused in the market on my alma mater, Splunk, and, and what, what Splunk is doing around security data and event data whereas the solar community continues to kind of be on the traditional search side. Lucidworks, interestingly enough, has been decoupling ourselves from one specific open source project to more of an open core. And so we utilize Elastic for the things that it's great at. We utilize Solar, we utilize Spark, we utilize TensorFlow, and we provide really the nervous system, if you will, between these various pieces of infrastructure but again, if we're in a conversation talking about infrastructure, I just start rolling my eyes because who cares <laughs> in the context of commerce, right? Let's talk about where your goals are and where you might be missing opportunity. Um, but that is, you know, behind the scenes, we leverage lots of open source. We build out lots of our own capabilities. And our goal is just to use best in class, right? If there's an aggregator, it's best for aggregating signal data. We want to make sure we're taking advantage of that. If there's a message bus, a caching layer, things that we can use in and around the web services and public cloud ecosystems, we want to take advantage of those. But at the end of the day, we're not here to just deliver info, right? We're here to deliver outcomes. And so these are all just kind of a means to the end. If you yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, how does the legal side of this work, right? So you're using open source um, in your product. How does that work from a licensing standpoint? 
So um, we use uh, solar, and I'm, <laughs> I don't want to get in trouble with my legalese <laughs> around licensing and all the different things because it's complicated. I can say that yes, first and very foremost. Much. <laughs> uh, very complicated. Um, you know, the Apache license has certain restrictions and certain liberties in which you can um, take and redistribute, um, you know, making sure that acknowledgement and licensing being kind of first and foremost, right? We don't own Apache Solar. We don't own Spark. We don't own a lot of these components that we are leveraging. Um, clearly in the elastic world, they're taking a bit of a more aggressive approach when it comes to just sort of how they want their license used. And to be honest, and just knowing that team for a long time and knowing what they're about, they're really not trying to restrict developers access to their technology. That's the last thing that's on the minds of that team. Um, but you know, they've got a real business problem with Amazon and what Amazon is doing and competing, having an equivalent service that's frankly doing at the same or more revenue is clearly a, a, a challenge for the elastic business. And so a lot of this licensing and, and the changes are to react to that, not to create burdens within the community. But the important thing is to understand your licenses, um, your open source licenses. And again, I won't go through all the different permutations, um, but they each have implications and they're incredibly important to understand, especially as you start monetizing or distributing or modifying code that's coming from these various projects. Um, you want to make sure you have an IP lawyer or more, most importantly, somebody who, who specializes in open source who can talk to you about, you know, what what the acceptable uses as well as liabilities that you may um, uh, inherit by leveraging some of these open source technologies. Um, one thing that we see in commerce more and more happening um, is uh, the commoditization of the platforms, right? So um, it's more about that commerce is a component um, of a larger digital application or architecture to provide uh, best in class digital experiences across all type of touch points. And uh, the components itself need to be, be well-built, scalable, but feature-wise partially replaceable, right? So, and, and with the best architecture, and makes it most flexible wins, but in, in, in some way it's becoming a commodity far different than it was 15 years ago where it was about feature function differentiation. Um, do you think that the same is, will happen in search or probably is happening? Do you have an opinion on, on where this is going? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it happened years ago. Um, the basic uh, idea of taking a record and indexing it and then retrieving that record when somebody uses a keyword uh, has been a solved problem for a long time now and is totally a commodity. The thing that's not a commodity is relevancy. So, you know, a, an automated regression test can de detect whether a record was indexed and whether a record was retrieved based on a keyword, but it can't really tell if that result is meaningful to a, a person's goal. And, uh, I think we're just barely scratching the surface of, of, how we can address people's goals. And for example, in, in a commerce context, one thing that uh, you, know, you very seldom or almost never see a, uh, a commerce search platform do is differentiate between uh, different parts of queries that map to different parts of your funnel. You know, in, in a commerce context, we always want to believe that the consumer is ready to transact right now. But people use um, e-commerce websites, you know, to understand products, especially uh, heavily considered decisions, you know, like uh, remodels or big projects, things like that. Um, and so sometimes, you know, when my goal isn't to transact right now, 
the kinds of records that I want to bring back and the things that I want to emphasize back to that consumer um, can make it more likely that they will transact in the future, even if they have no intention of doing it now. So I think, you know, building search interfaces, user experience interfaces that understand that consumer journey and bring back the right stuff for them at the right time, help them transact when they're ready. Um, you know, that that's kind of where, where the stuff is going next. If I can add to that, I mean, I, I think one of the things to us that is really the, the untapped gem that most companies have access to, but don't necessarily know how to get to or leverage is that signal data, right? The, the, the information that we're processing to determine intent in any given moment is information that's incredibly valuable to persist and to make available to other channels, whether it's your customer service channel, whether it's an omni-channel in-store experience where an agent's on an iPad and can understand all of the behavioral elements that led to that moment that you walked into a store. And so from our standpoint, yeah, the search interface, while it's a commodity, it's what we deliver through it and how we respond to those requests um, that really enhances the value of what we can bring. And again, the engineer in me says, oh yeah, that's just like an instantiation, ignore that. What's really cool is behind the scenes, we're centralizing all of this insight data, we're creating new insight data from it. So synthetic information about your users, which we can make available through every channel. And so as a business, what we wanna do is we wanna make the adoption of those signals easier. So we're working on a variety of like customer service applications now that feed the exact same signal data that's serving our site search and our product discovery. So when you come in and you call in to a help, I'm sorry, you call into a customer service desk or you log into a portal, we can be more preemptive and predictive of where your issues might be, right? I saw you were on the, on the site, you were reading about microphone issues. I noticed you have an iPhone, by the way, it's under a warranty. Before you even type in a ticket, I might just send you a new phone. That's the type of experience that's, that's available when you really democratize this insight data, you make it available to all these departments. So many of our customers work in these silos, right? Customer service department up here in Spokane, mobile team down in, 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 in um, Austin, you know, something else going out in Charlotte. And therefore we start to create these isolated experiences. And then me as an end user, all of a sudden I am subject to your organization. It's because of where you are geographically located, why I have a frustrating customer service call. Clearly we can do better as an industry. And I believe the signals are our opportunity to really democratize those insights and make them consistent across every channel. Yeah, I hear you. And I think what you, what you all described um, throughout the podcast, uh, including your vector search technology, um, it's mostly all about intent and context, right? That's that right. Makes, yeah. makes the difference. Um, so we're, we're getting close to the end of our podcast. Um, may, maybe one, one last question before we wrap it. Um, uh, any any 2021 2022 plans that you can share new products um uh, next to, to vector search um uh i don't know office move something like that uh, you're in san francisco right now um uh, uh, now uh, uh, when we can all go back to the office uh, uh um, do you see this changing um there, there's a lot of I, I just had a call yesterday uh, with an entrepreneur in san francisco who said that a lot of companies are moving out of the city, going somewhere else in the future. Um, what, what, what's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, the, the Bay Area is definitely going to go through a bit of a transition as a result of COVID. I mean, to be honest with you, putting some relief on the housing market to me is one of the best things that can come out of this. Um, you know, we intend to stay a San Francisco headquartered company. What our footprint looks like is really going to depend on sort of 
what is the utility of physical space as we go forward, right? So I look at the office the same way I look at a laptop, the same way I look at a Zoom account. Everything has a utility. The utility of the office used to be I could show up and my colleagues were there and if I needed something, I could go and ask them. Well, the post-COVID world is probably going to look different. It's probably going to feel more like a, a WeWork that we have kind of private access to that we can book and have conference rooms. So we'll continue to have a presence in San Francisco. A lot of our team members who have foundations and family here. I don't believe the exodus the way people talk about it, by the way, we could have a separate conversation on that. Um, just to quickly wrap on on the roadmap, uh, we believe that you know vectors are some of the most exciting stuff that's going on. We are doubling down on customer service um, as a commitment to our customers to make that signal data even more valuable and more available. We have a motto that says, look, we want to capture it from anywhere, apply it everywhere. And so continuing to deliver on that mission and connecting the, the customer service experience to the commerce experience is really the next kind of um, paradigm shift for us as we continue to fill out what we believe is a connected experience cloud for our customers. Awesome. I think that's a good wrap. And um, I think if you need a consultant um, to uh, get your office in a kind of WeWork style, I think Adam Newman should be on the market. Um, I'm not sure what he's doing. <laughs> oh, right, yeah. now, but... <laughs> um, it's definitely available. Definitely, him. definitely. Um, yeah, we'll see. It's it's uh, to me, it's one of the big questions. We just want to get back together yeah. in person. It doesn't matter if it's every day. Just, I just want to see my colleagues again and get on the whiteboard. Absolutely, all the creative you know, part, right? All all this collaboration, right? So sitting in front of of uh, your terminal, your console, your editor, your spreadsheet, your Excel, whatever you can do. And it doesn't matter if you're in a home office or in your private office or conference room, but. Uh, just all the collaboration work. Um, I think Zoom, Zoom, and and Meet, and and uh, Teams, and so on can't can't replace it all. Yeah, yeah that's true. Absolutely, we can't wait. <laughs> awesome. So I think that's a wrap. Um, well, Peter, um, thank you so much for being on our show with us. Um, I think that gave a good insight um, into Lucid Works, into uh, search in general, and uh, what's coming in the next couple of years. Um, thank you so much. Well, thank you for having us. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.